Mac Power Users, episode 437, The iPhone as a Communicator. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you doing, Katie? I'm great, David. How are you? Oh, I can't complain. Uh, I'm excited about this episode. We were, uh, you know, recently I was watching the Steve Jobs keynote and uh, announcing the iPhone, and you and I were talking about things, and we got talking about the issue of the iPhone as a communication device. I mean, uh, when Steve first announced the iPhone, he explained that it was, what was it? it was an iPod, an internet device, and a communicator. It, it was a widescreen iPod. Yes. It was a phone. And an internet communicator. Yes, there you go. You got the lingo right. So we thought, let's let's take a look at that. How does it stack up? And we wanted to uh, look specifically at getting the most out of your iPhone for the for the phone features, for the messaging features, and and basically communication with this little thing that you put in your pocket. So we've got a bunch of stuff in the outline. I can't wait to get through it all. You know, I was thinking. I wonder if we could other do separate shows on the other two. If we, I mean, I don't think there's a whole show on the the iPhone as a widescreen iPod. No, I don't think so. I, I think that's one that history has kind of left. Well, I don't know. People still watch stuff on it, but people don't think about it that much. But but in terms of communication, uh, the iPhone changed the landscape. I mean, we started out thinking about it, a phone and messaging, but smartphones and the iPhone, specifically in smartphones in general, have really changed the way people use these devices to communicate. And there's a lot to cover here. So we, we've got, like I said, a big outline. I'm looking forward to getting through it. Before we do so, a couple announcements. The uh, the MPU discourse forum is hopping. It's great. I'm really happy. Thank you, everybody, for adopting it so quickly. If you haven't yet, there's still room for you in there. We upgraded the server because we had so many people coming in, and that's great. There's a lot of uh, fun conversations going on in there. And uh, thank you. Enjoy that. We also have some uh, news in terms of uh, Mac Power Users merchandise. We were not planning on doing this. But um, we actually, you've missed the promotion, but last week Cotton Bureau celebrated their fifth birthday and asked us, as long as um, some of your other favorite Mac podcasters, to re-release some special editions of our, our merchandise, including our famous MPU hoodie and our MPU glow t-shirt. And last week they were giving away some fantastic prizes on their site. And if, if any of you won any of those, uh, let us know. We'd, we'd love to, to hear that. That'd be awesome. Send us a photo of you and your, your MPU t-shirt or hoodie with, with whatever uh, amazing gadget you won from Cotton Bureau. But, but also, um, although the, I think the time to win prizes is gone, the merchandise is still up available, I believe, through the end of this week. Uh, if you want to grab an MPU hoodie or you want to grab an MPU T-shirt, because I think there's a two-week minimum on those. So you still can order an MPU T-shirt or an MPU hoodie, and uh, we'll put links to those in the show notes. I got a ton of emails from people right after the, the time to order those last year closed saying, oh, I wanted to and I just didn't get in fast enough. Um, and we had about a dozen or actually we had a couple of dozen people who were on kind of the pre-order list for them. And we said, well, sorry, we weren't bringing them back. Well, we did, but we're probably not again, really, this time. So if you if you want it, get it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I was in San Jose for WWDC, uh, there was uh, Mac Power users was well represented. Lots of people walking around with our T-shirts and hoodies. So uh, would love to see more of you. So so get your get your shirt. I, I think the battery shirt looks really cool. I'm just saying. Um, uh, also the, I keep pimping this London thing, but you know, it's coming up. So I thought I would, uh, we're, uh, I'm going to be in London July 9th. There's a post at Max Park. Yeah. I'll link in it. It's also in a discourse forum. 
it's nothing really fancy. It's not really an organized party so much as it's just kind of a meetup, and it's going to be fun. I'm also hearing that there's a bunch of users that are going to be at MacStock. I'm going to be there, too. We're going to have a meetup. And I am still going to try and convince Katie to show up for one of those things. So I, I'm not giving up yet. She may be there. You just never know. Mm-hmm. We'll see about that. There's a couch in my room in, in London. I'm just saying. All you got to do is get on a plane. Okay. <sighs> All right. Well, I think that about wraps up everything that that we needed to to talk about uh, in terms of the uh, our, our announcements. Let's let's get back to the iPhone. Let's get back to the iPhone as a as a communicator. We talked about how Steve introduced this as as three devices in one, and back then, really, cell phones were primarily just phones. There were a few smartphones out there, but they were really bad, and people didn't use them much for the smartphone type features. And it's funny to see how the tide has shifted from when the iPhone was introduced more than 10 years ago now to today. I would say that the phone is probably one of the least used features on my iPhone. But I I think you and and I and perhaps many of us out there, because of the line of work that we're in, we still do use the phone a lot. I mean, I, I was probably I probably made a eight to 10 phone calls today and was probably on the phone for an hour to an hour and a half or more, which that was a busy day for me, but I still use the phone a fair amount in my iPhone. It's not in my dock. I took it out of my dock a few years ago, uh, but the iPhone is the, the phone piece is still an important part of the phone for me. What about you? I'd be really curious to know how many of our listeners actually keep the phone in their dock. I expect not many people do because it's got so much more utility in addition to being a phone. But like maybe if you work sales and you're on the phone all day, it would make sense. I, I took the phone out of my dock years ago, but it still is in a prominent place on my home screen. And I still am on the phone all the time. I think for, for the two of us are with our day jobs, it does just necessarily involve a lot of telephone calls with people, probably more than most people. Like uh, some of my developer friends, uh, they just don't, they never, they never make calls. They want to do everything digitally. They don't want to talk, but the, uh, but you know, everybody's on a spectrum somewhere in terms of their phone usage. But what I don't think a lot of people have thought about much is just how useful the phone can be and how much better the iPhone as a phone is than the phone was of 10 years ago when the iPhone first showed up. So I thought we'd spend a little bit of time just starting talking about using the iPhone as a phone. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the big things when you when you go into the phone app, you're you're presented with a couple of options. Um, obviously, you have the standard numeric pad where you can dial somebody. You have voicemail. You have contacts. You have recents, which show your recent calls made and received or missed. Um, and you have favorites. So how do you have those set up? We all start with favorites. I think that's probably something that a lot of people should spend a little time on. Okay, let's talk. Let's start talk about starting favors. Um, this is basically, you know, your quick dials. You used to have your quick dials one, two, and three. the The beauty about favorites is favorites are kind of your speed dials. You can add whoever you want in there, but you can also um, expand on the favorites. If you uh, are we are we supposed to call it three D touch now? Or are we supposed to call it long press? Because I hear Apple's changing their verbiage on this. Yeah, I I honestly don't know where they're going with that. But either way, um, if you've got someone in your favorites and you press hard, it gives you a bunch of options. Um, And this is something that's gotten better. I mean, if you started using the phone back in the day when the iPhone first came out, you had to make an election when you added someone to your favorite. You had like the cell phone number and the landline number for a person. You would have to choose which one is your favorite. And you still do that now. And that's the default. Uh, But 
if you just uh, 3D press or hard press on that name. I, I think we're supposed to say long press now. Okay, whatever. I, I press hard on it. So there you go. You press hard on it. It gives you a list of options. So not only do you get the various phone numbers you have for that person, you also have the ability to send them a message, to initiate a video FaceTime call, to send them an email. And um, if your phone is set up with the more recent versions of the operating system, you can send them money, which is kind of fun. Um, when you have kids, that actually comes in handy. But the, the point is, it's easy. I, I used to not use favorites as much because uh, by the time I got my family in there with work numbers and cell numbers, I used up my slots. And now that's not the case anymore. You can get by with one slot for each person. So you've got 10 or so people that'll fit in there and get on that first screen. No problem. And you can, and you can reach them in any form of communication that the iPhone will support. So um, it's not a bad time to, to stop and take a look at those. And to see who you may want to move around, but you still can have for, for ease of convenience, you still can have the same person in there multiple times under different numbers. You still can have, you know, your spouse in there with their mobile number and your spouse in there under their work number. Yeah. I mean, and if you're calling your spouse all the time in two different numbers, there's nothing wrong with making two entries for them. Um, I really feel like the phone making phone calls one of the advantages i think is is this is one of the best uses is for siri you know there's a lot of people who are, who don't like siri and think it's a waste of time but just um saying you know you know the trigger phase, ahoy phrase telephone. Uh, okay say ahoy telephone dial katie floyd it's a great way to get a phone call initiated without having to dig through menus and uh, even unlock your phone if you've got it set up uh, that way the other thing that that you can do with your your favorites is keep in mind that your favorites don't have to be a phone number. You, you can you can put a text in um, uh, by default. By default, it's set up to call that number. But you can also have the default be to text, which may sound a little weird because you're going into the phone icon to set up a text. But you can set up the default to message someone as opposed to call them. Yeah, or you can make it FaceTime audio. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but there's Apple's got an entirely different way to make phone calls and a different technology. And that also applies to the Siri. You could say, you know, Ahoy Telephone, FaceTime Audio, Katie Floyd, and it will initiate a FaceTime audio call as opposed to a cellular-based telephone call. Which is, you know, great if you're talking to other Apple people. Um, in fact, we should mention, David, that we're conducting this podcast for the first time over FaceTime. So if people notice anything different it's because this is a facetime podcast yeah we, we've had so many troubles with skype and it's like it's really popular for podcasters to hear and whine about skype and it was failing us even before we started the call today so we just put it on a facetime audio call on our computers and um with a little bit of finagling with audio hijack to get the the recipe just right so we could record it properly uh we uh, i think we've got a good call here and we've had no audio problems so you know knock on wood all right, so I think I think we've about covered fa favorites. It's it's pretty straightforward. Is there anything else we need to talk about with favorites? No, I mean just just make it work for you. The other thing is there's an information button on every favorite. So if you want to get deeper on that person, change a phone number, get into the contact card, you just tap that and it gets you there. In fact, one of the things that I think most people know this but not everybody is the phone app is the best way to get your contact information. I mean there is a contacts app, but you've got the phone app usually on your home screen. And if you just go in there, there's there's a con list of contacts there that basically opens the contacts app from within the phone app. Yeah, I took the contacts app off my home screen long ago. So that's that's the easiest way to get there now. 
that's always, I mean, from the beginning, uh, they've got the recent tab. That's obvious. It, whether, the recent calls, whether um, they're missed calls or all calls you've had. So if you're working with a person a lot, that's an easy way to get to their phone number. And then uh, it's also got a keypad, a traditional phone keypad. I, I, I was watching TV with my kids and there was a dial phone in the movie. And they asked, they didn't know what that was. They, they honestly didn't know what a dial phone was. <laughs> I mean, do you, how old I mean, are you? You're old enough to recall using dial phones, yes, right? Yes, yes, we had dial phones. I was telling my kids the worst thing was when you had a friend that had a zero in their phone number and you had to like pull the zero all the way over and just wait for it to go back. You know, when you're a kid and every second is so precious and you had a friend with two zeros in their phone number, there were people, I, w- I just wouldn't call them because there were too many zeros in their phone number. I couldn't wait. It would hurt your fingers. Yeah. And then um, from there, you get to voicemail. Uh, voicemail was something unique with the iPhone from the very beginning. It, with When it released, it was visual voicemail, which which was kind of a big deal when it came out. Yeah, visual voicemail was revolutionary because it used to be that you would you would get whatever the voicemail was and you would have to like sit there and listen to them and say, all right, I've I've listened to this. I've listened to this. No, skip, 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 save, delete, skip, save, delete. And now you can listen to whatever voicemail you want in whatever order you want. It's it's great. And um uh and it's still there and it's still kind of awesome. Uh a couple things you can do with the iPhone that going a little deeper in the user stack, I guess I would say, is is conference calls. Uh you know, conference calls used to be a big deal where you had to have a service uh, for most conference uh, things you do these days, you can set up a conference Kona call on your iPhone just fine. All you have to do is once you're on an active call, you've got a list of buttons available. There's a plus sign there that says add call. You know, that kind of makes sense. Tap on that and then you can dial in a third person. Uh, we use this in our family all the time. We were just, uh, my, uh, uh, we just had some relatives visiting and we wanted to coordinate a meeting place and it was going to be really difficult to do that with two people on the phone at a time, but with three, it was very quick. So I just added, well, you know, one of my relatives into the call and we got everything sorted out very quickly. Um, you can get fancier uh, conference calling equipment if you want, but I, I think the iPhone for most uses is just fine as it comes, but go make sure to try that out sometime if you've never done it before. Yeah. I, I love conference calling on that. It really brought conference calling to the masses because for most people, just conferencing two people together with you. So three total is really all you need. Now we should also talk about the ability to kind of program in pauses and pound signs and stuff when you're making calls. I believe that's separate. We got that in the outline later. And we've got, we've got that in the outline. Um, I do want to talk about before we get away from voicemail, there was a new feature that came a few versions of, of iOS ago for voicemail transcription on iOS. It, it used to be pretty funny, but now I find that it's, it's actually pretty good. And I've used this in a lot of circumstances where I couldn't take a call and somebody left me a voicemail and I still couldn't take the call or listen to the voicemail because I was in a situation where I had to be quiet. Maybe I was sitting in the back of a courtroom or something, but I could get the gist of what something somebody wanted or why they called by looking at the, the transcript of the voicemail. And I believe that's turned on in the settings, correct? No, it, it's by default. Um, it just happens now. I didn't have to turn anything on. But you do have to have um, a, a specific iPhone, and I believe it's all the newer iPhones. I think if you have an iPhone 6 or higher, it will work. I agree. It does a much better job than it used to. So how do you deal with, you know, cell phones in so many ways are worse than the landline-based phones that we had before in terms of connection quality and reliability. 
uh, you know, I, I'm reminded when we, we have the problems with Skype, it's the same kind of things we deal with cell phones all the time. I mean, it's still a regular thing to be on the phone with somebody and, and just lose the connection. What are some ways users can deal with that? Well, um, I will tell you, I have dealt with poor cell phone reception as long as I've owned a cell phone um, it, for, for a couple of, of reasons. And, and I always thought that time would be something that would solve this problem. Because as time went by, technology would get better, more towers would be built, and this would be a problem that would be largely solved. And maybe I'm in the minority now, and I know that largely this has gotten better, but I am just in a city that um, is is very anti, I, I'm not going to make any political statements, but let's just say we don't like cell phone towers here. It's pretty rural, right? Where you live? No, no, I live in a big I live in a city. Um, you should come visit sometime, David. I have a couch. I, I, I actually don't have a, I, I do have a couch that you can sleep on, but I have multiple guest bedrooms that, you know, I have lots of beds it's, with TVs in them and, and Apple TVs. And every, every room has some TV connected device. I know that. Yes. It's, it's, I, I have very hospitable accommodations. No, I mean, I, I live in a city of, of, um, almost three quarters of a million people. I think I got you upset. No, I, I don't live out in the country anywhere. I have better cell phone coverage out in the country when I when I travel out to the country for various things because they don't have a problem sticking a cell phone tower out in somebody's field. But um, I I live in an area where um, uh, and, and it's a specific area of town, but it's just in general where we have not built a lot of cell phone towers, and so I'm I'm kind of in a um, a, a cell phone desert where I live and. Um, I've tried all the carriers. Verizon is the only one that I can even try to get service with. Um, but I have I have one bar right now. The very teeny tiny smallest bar um, is the the coverage that I have in my house. And so I've tried everything to try to get better cell phone service. It's a lot better situation now than it was. Um, what I, I I tried those antennas that you would connect to things and put in your house. Those did not work well. Um, the, the next best thing that actually worked pretty well um, is the the carriers used to um, sometimes they would give them to you as an accommodation. Sometimes you would have to buy them, but they would offer the micro cells. Yeah, I think they still do that. I think, I think they still, still do. Um, and so I, I had that for a while. And, and so a micro cell is it's a box that plugs into your network and it basically serves as a local antenna. But it's a cellular call, but they plug into, I believe, your Internet connection. Right. It's it's a mini cell tower that's that's in your house that that broadcasts a cellular signal, um, usually 3G. Maybe they have 4G microcells now. I don't know. But at the time I was using them, they were 3G. And then it would use your Internet connection to bridge the gap to to take this connection out and then connect it to the cellular network. So um, and those worked really well uh, and they allowed you to. um to get coverage. It worked, they worked really well for people who were, um, who were connected to the microcell, but you had to be like on the plan and connected to the microcell. So if, if, um, uh, friends or, or other people who weren't, you know, you could only connect so many numbers to the microcell. So we put our immediate family, like our family on the microcell, but like if a friend came to the house, we're like, sorry, no, you can't connect to the microcell. We've used up all our slots and, uh, you have no coverage. Bye. Yeah, and, and I hesitate to say this next part because I know in our big audience there's somebody out there that works for the cellular company and is like banging their head on their dashboard. But the uh, you know the technology involved with voice calls over cellular um, is different from the technology to push the ones and zeros. That that when you open Safari on your 
your iPhone or OmniFocus or whatever app you're using and you get data to the internet. It's really kind of a different fundamental technology. And I think that's one of the reasons why the voice stuff still gives us trouble. So one of the things cellular carriers and, and cell phone manufacturers have teamed up on recently is what they call Wi-Fi calling. Yes. So Wi-Fi calling is is what pretty much is, um, if, if your carrier supports it, will um, will allow you to, instead of having to install a separate box with a separate microcell in your house, uh, will allow you to use your Wi-Fi connection to make the call. And, and instead of connecting over a cellular, having a separate box that broadcasts a cellular connection into your house, it just instead connects your call um, over the Wi-Fi, existing Wi-Fi connection in your house and then routes the call over the Internet connection to the cellular network and then completes the call from there. So, in fact, I have a I have a lot more to say about Wi-Fi calling, because I will tell you when I'm at home, I'm on Wi-Fi calling all the time. And there have been some some pros and some cons that have come with that. Well, let's talk about the first pro, in my opinion, is they sound better. The calls are much better sounding to me. Yeah, they can. The, the calls can sound a lot better because, um, number one, you're getting a better connection. Um, and, and number two, you're you're over a data network. Oh, well, I guess the cellular network is a data network, but um, you're over a, a, a better data network than perhaps what you're accustomed to with the with the cell phone signal. Okay, there there is a downside that it uses some of your 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 data. You know, it's using bits, so that it's going to get charged against your data. Whereas with telephone calls, with most phone plans, is, is unlimited talk time. This isn't talk time. This is data that's getting used, and that's why Katie probably does it at home because you're on Wi-Fi, so you don't care. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends at Casper. Podcast listeners are invited to take advantage of Casper's competitive, limited-time 4th of July offer. For a limited time, go to casper.com slash savings and save up to $225 off your order. Casper is the mattress company that sells directly to you, eliminating added costs and saving you money. So it's the place to shop for a 4th of July mattress savings this year. Casper has three mattress lines to choose from. The Original Casper, The Innovative Wave, and The Essential. The breathable design of each mattress helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. And you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. They deliver directly to your door, and if for any reason you don't love it, Casper has a hassle-free return policy. It's funny that Casper is sponsoring us this week because I just became a Casper customer once again. My daughter's moving, and she wants a new bed and mattress as part of the move. I, I get that. She's been sleeping on the same mattress for something like 15 years. Don't judge me. So we went online together at Casper and logged into casper.com savings and picked out a new mattress for her. She's not quite ready to move to her new apartment yet, so the mattress is going to show up at our house. Then we can just put the box in the car and drive it to her apartment when it gets here. I've been sleeping on a Casper mattress now for years, and I love it. It's really the perfect fit for my body, and I've just got so used to it that every time I travel, I can't wait to get home and back into my Casper mattress. And the good news is you can have your own Casper. For a limited time, you can visit casper.com savings and save up to $225 off your order. This offer is for a limited time only, so if you've been thinking about buying a Casper mattress, this is your cue to check it out. The special offer expires on July 9, 2018, and terms and conditions do apply. 
So that's casper.com slash savings to save up to $225 until July 9th. Thank you, Casper, for your support of the show. So let's, let's let's talk a little bit more about Wi-Fi calling and, and let's back up and talk a little bit more. We, we've covered kind of what it is. It, it's basically your your phone uses the the cellular or excuse me, the, the Wi-Fi network at your house as opposed to the cellular network to then bridge a connection that would otherwise be poor to connect out to your to your cell provider. Yeah, and, and before we move on to more details, in order to make it work, you've got to have a cellular provider that supports it. Verizon and AT&T do in the U.S. I believe some of the other carriers do as well. The iPhone supports it, but but depending on where you are in the world, that that's a question mark to, that you've got to you know uh, to answer before you can know whether you're going to use it. Right. So first thing that happens is is your provider has to support it. The other thing that has to happen is your phone has to support it. Um, and I believe the phones now, um, all all the modern iPhones do support Wi-Fi calling. Um, but if if you're on an older phone or if you're on an older operating system, then you're not going to be able to use Wi-Fi calling. So that's a that's a good reason in and of itself to um, to to switch over to a new version. Um, but Wi-Fi calling can be very useful when you're in an area with with weak coverage. Um, typically. You're you're going to primarily use Wi-Fi calling in your house. Um, Wi-Fi calling was introduced with the iPhone 6 in 2014. Uh, the four major carriers in the U.S., T-Mobile, AT&T, Verizon, and Sprint, have um, all built-in Wi-Fi calling capabilities. And it's also built into a number of phones, not just the iPhone. Uh, it's, it's built into a number of Android phones and all. Um, you can actually, I had a lot of success when I was overseas using Wi-Fi calling. I was able to make phone calls uh, using Wi-Fi calling when I was connected to a Wi-Fi network overseas. It, it depends on the carrier, but usually if you're traveling internationally um, and you're calling a U.S. number, that call can be uh, free, but different carriers have different rules. So um, make make sure that you, you check on that. But when I was overseas on Wi-Fi calling, calling a U.S. number, I had no idea that I wasn't in the U.S. So those are those are things to be aware of. Um, there, there are some downsides to Wi-Fi calling. As, as a general rule of thumb, um, a, a Wi-Fi call, you, you need to have at least a minimum of one megabit per second um, to, to do a solid call. You, you can do less, but you may find that the call quality dissipates. Um, if you have a lot of people who are on your connection or someone's streaming video or otherwise the call quality degrades, you know, like anything, if the if the bandwidth is saturated, you're going to find that your your call quality is going to degrade. Um, you'll typically find that a, a Wi-Fi call does use your data. And usually if you're at home on your own home Internet connection, that's not going to be a big deal. But Wi-Fi calls typically use about one megabyte per minute of voice call. So not not huge, but not not insignificant if you're if you're making long calls. Yeah, we've got the unlimited plan now with AT&T, and I, I don't really worry about it too much. And I find myself using Wi-Fi calling even when I'm out of the house. It's, I mean, it depends. I mean, if someone, usually most calls I receive are on a traditional cellular line. If we have a bad connection, I'll call them back via Wi-Fi. Like Katie was saying, it's all dependent on your connection. Just like you can have a bad cellular connection, you can have a bad data connection. If you have a bad data connection, that's going to affect the quality and fidelity of a Wi-Fi call. But in my experience, and this is just one guy driving around Southern California, 
uh, it, it just generally Wi-Fi is, is almost always better. It, it, it sounds better. It's cleaner. You don't get the background noise. You don't get the static. It's just a cleaner connection. So I use it almost all the time, even when I'm not at home. Now, you do have to turn it on. Uh, I, I believe that the case is it is still not on by default. So the way that you turn it on is you go into the settings app, go to phone and turn on Wi-Fi calling. Um, you might need to either enter or confirm your address for emergency services for for this to work. And the reason that they do that is because if you're if you're purely calling from Wi-Fi and you don't have any reception, um, they need to know for 911 purposes, you know, where where to send first responders. Um, if Wi-Fi calling is available and you don't have an iPhone 10, uh, you'll see the uh, Wi-Fi after your carrier name in the status bar. And that's how you know that calls are using Wi-Fi. Um, I have an iPhone 10. I know that I am using Wi-Fi calling, but I don't see the little icon anymore because, you know, the, the status bar is abbreviated on the iPhone 10. There's just not not room to to show it. But you can hear it. I mean, you can you can hear it in the call. Apple does let you know that when cellular service is available, your phone will use it for emergency calls. If it can, it prioritizes cellular for emergency calls. And I think that's just for the 911 location. Cellular tracking. They can they can tie you to where you're at yeah you do have to have um an uh an, an iphone or it actually works on ipad or ipod touches you with ios 9 or later um and it's a mac uh 2002 model or i'm sorry 2012 model or later running el capitan so that's that's how wi-fi calling works there are some downsides to wi-fi calling but you know um obviously there's the downside that if something happens and you're on wi-fi calling and you're not at home you know, and there's an emergency, they may send emergency responders to the wrong address. So if you move or something like that, you may need to make sure you you update your 911 address. The other downside to Wi-Fi calling that I found is that some places, and I found this like with some uh, businesses, won't accept Wi-Fi calls. Have you ever run into that? I've run into a handful of times. No, I, I can't. As I think, sit here. I don't. I can't recall a time that that's happened to me. But also, I don't normally use Wi-Fi calling to call. But I usually use that to call friends and clients. But but yeah, I'm sure there's some. I wonder what the what the reason for that is. I use Wi-Fi calling all the time when I'm at home. I mean, if I'm at home, I'm calling you from Wi-Fi. And 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 I've actually found it with restaurants. Like if I'm calling a pizza place to order takeout, um, I've I've had them decline the the Wi-Fi call. And usually, what I get is I get a, um, uh, I, I just get a recording that says this business is not accepting. It, it doesn't say Wi-Fi calling, but it says something that when you when you think about it, it says, oh, it's, it's because I'm calling from Wi-Fi. Maybe it's because they don't get caller ID information, perhaps. I think what it is, I had researched this at some point, is um, I think it's an anti-spam technique because I think it's trying to weed out what, what are legit calls versus what are just automated calls. The, the way that I have been able to get around it is I find that if I put the complete phone number in and dial, you know, full phone number with area code, that that will override that and it will let the call through. Wait a second. Do you, do you ever call numbers without the area code? Sometimes. Yeah. I, I just, I never do that so, because every contact that goes into my system, even if they're in the same area code as me, I put the area code in. It, it wouldn't be a contact that I'm calling. It's like if I'm, I'm calling something out of a magazine, if I'm calling for a, a service or delivery or for pizza or something like that, I'm, I'm, I'm not calling something on my contacts. 
Well, I, I, I almost, I always put the area code in anyway. So I, that's probably why I've never experienced that, but yeah, good to know. Um, what about, um, well, we get, have we covered Wi-Fi calling? Yep. I think that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. So if, if you've got, um, if you're using your phone and you haven't tried Wi-Fi calling, I guess the takeaway is please turn it on and try it because, uh, you will find that it increases the fidelity of your calls. And when you spend a lot of time talking on the phone, it's really nice when you can actually hear the other person, <laughs> you know? um, handoff calls to other devices. This is something Apple's added over the last several years. And it's gotten, I think a lot more stable with more recent releases of uh, Mac OS and iOS, but it's pretty nice uh, being able to have these calls go through on your different devices. Um, often I'll be working uh, out in the yard. You know, I have like my little outside office setup where I spend time working on my iPad. A call comes in, I can take it on my iPad. If I'm sitting at my desk at my iMac and someone calls, I can answer it right on my iMac and get by. And all that stuff is that underlying handoff technology that Apple got really excited about two or three years ago. And I think if you didn't try it to begin with, you should, or if you tried it and you didn't like it initially, I would encourage you to try it again because the, the, the actual handshake between the devices has become much more stable and it sounds pretty good. I mean, I make calls every day on my Mac. Well, I will tell you one of the reasons it's gotten better is because of Wi-Fi calling. It, it, it used to be that your, um, your phone had to be in the vicinity to hand that call off because the call came in from your phone and it had to hand it off. And now if you also you have Wi-Fi calling turned on and, and these devices will also accept it, your phone really doesn't have to be involved in the process. Yeah, and you even initiate the call using Wi-Fi calling or FaceTime audio, uh, depending on the recipient uh, from the device as well. And so when you turn on Wi-Fi calling, you also want to make sure that you turn on calls on other devices. So uh, there's an option when you go into turn on Wi-Fi calling to allow calls on on other devices. Um, but you can also just re generally turn off on handoff to if you go to settings, phones and calls on other devices. Keep in mind that your devices do have to all be be logged into the same iCloud account. And, and you may want to give thought to that. You, you may not necessarily want it on all your devices. When I'm sitting here with my iPad, my iPhone and my iMac and the phone rings, everything rings. <laughs> you know, um, if you don't think you're ever going to use it on an iPad, don't enable it on the iPad. And that way you've got you know, you, you don't have every device in your office ringing every time someone calls you. Um, I've also noticed there's a little bit of a lag that if I pick up a call on my phone, it that next ring is still going to finish on my Mac. And I'm like, oh, just stop ringing, you know? Yeah, or, or I get that on the Mac. When I answer a, phone, a call on the phone, sorry, I'm tripping over myself. When I answer a call using the Mac, that usually my the person who called me hears that last ring. They're like, what's going on there? You know, I'm like, oh, never mind. It's just all my ringers. But uh, it, it is nice. And I, I don't know. I mean, it seems now I take it for granted. But um, it, it, just to be at any device and be able to pick up a call without having to dig in your pocket for your phone or go find it in the next room, it, it's really convenient. That was one of the nice things about going out on my own is I, I didn't have to use the office phone system. I could just use Apple as the underlying technology for all this stuff. And it works so easy. I mean, I can use a Siri command to, to initiate a phone call. I can be working in the contacts app or even just like working in Apple mail on my Mac, which gets me to a contact, which allows me to initiate a call using the mouse and keyboard. Um, you know, all this stuff, it just ties together so nicely. Uh, it makes you, it makes making calls a lot easier. What do you think about um, now when you're not using your podcasting setup with, with the mic and the headphones and all, 
How is it making and receiving calls on your Mac or calls on your iPad for convenience? Because I've I've ran into the situation a couple of times where I'm upstairs and I left my phone downstairs or I've, I've you know got one device somewhere and this is the device I have. If I have to go run for it, I'm not going to not going to make the call. What's been your experience audio quality wise? I think it's fine. I, you know, one of my dirty secrets, Katie, is um, uh, I have a uh, I have a fancy USB pre um, preamp on my mic. Somebody loaned me and it's so fancy that I'm afraid I'm going to like kill it somehow. So when we finish recording the shows or I'm done with a, a screencast, I actually unplug my mic. I used to keep it hot all the time, uh, but I just unplug it when I'm not doing podcasting or screencasting. So my microphone usually isn't even on. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have power to it, so it's just not there. Uh, but the iMac, I mean, I have a relatively new iMac. It's got noise-canceling microphones built into it. I just saw somebody wrote about this on the discourse group there, actually. How do you do dictation without a fancy dictation mic on your iMac? And I said, I just do it with the built-in microphones that are in the device now because they have noise-canceling. They do a good job. And I get the same response with telephone calls. Uh they sound fine. Uh, I mean, people come in, I hear them coming through the speakers of my Mac. It's just like a, having a speakerphone, but it's a, you know, a very expensive speakerphone, <laughs> you know, the, uh, but it sounds fine and people don't complain just like the, the watch is the same too. I mean, the watch sounds a little tinny, but for the person on the other side of the call, usually it's just fine. Well, uh, and I will tell you, I think people generally are used to phone calls sounding bad because they're used to, to cell phone calls. That's a good point, but, but it's fine. And so the answer to the question is you don't need to buy a special microphone if you can do a bunch of calls on your Mac. Uh, same thing for the iPad. I, I do calls on the iPad all the time. The only downside is it's necessarily a speaker phone situation. If you're, um, unless you have AirPods plugged in or, or a, um, a headset plugged into it, which, you know, for most people, that's not true. But like I, I have to do a lot of reading for my day job. So that's one of my favorite things is to go in the backyard and sit on the couch in the backyard and get through all the contracts I'm reading with my Apple Pencil. And calls come in and I'll take them. But the only thing that always makes me a little nervous is if it's a call from a client, I'm in my backyard talking to a client. I don't want someone that's like, you know, next door listening in or maybe somebody decides to mow the lawn two, two doors down. So uh, I usually keep a pair of, of headphones with me or my AirPods which makes it sound even better, frankly. Yeah, I, I really enjoy making making calls on the on the AirPods. So. And you can use them one at a time. I use that the AirPods just one at a time all the time when I'm on the phone. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Smile. Learn more about the all-new PDF Pen 10 by heading over to smilesoftware.com slash podcast. I don't know about you, but I live in PDFs. In fact, we did a whole show recently all about PDFs because they have become the ubiquitous file format for sharing information and exchanging documents. Well, if you, like me, live with PDFs, then you really need a super powerful PDF editor. And you can get that with PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro, recently updated by Smile 2 version 10. With the PDF Pen family of products, you can do things like add signatures, text, and images to your PDFs. If you find an error on a PDF or maybe something quick that you need to change, don't worry because you can use PDF Pen to make changes and correct typos. With PDF Pen on the Mac, you can OCR and scan your documents. You can fill out forms, you can export to Microsoft Word, and a whole lot more. And the recently released version 10 offers a whole new slew of advanced features to help power your way through PDF manipulations. For example, in version 10, you can add text and image watermarks, 
complete with opacity and rotation controls, something that I had to do previously with Automator or with a third-party app. You can also apply header and footer text with options for customizing things like page position, font, range. It's never been easier to add page numbers and such to your PDFs. And PDF Pen Pro 10 offers my favorite feature of all, Batch OCR. This allows you to turn multiple scans into searchable documents all at once using PDF Pen Pro version 10. There are a lot of other tweaks too, like a new precision edit tool, increased size for library items, the ability to move and resize images in line, and a whole lot more. So you can learn more by heading over to smilesoftware.com podcast and check out the new batch of videos there to learn all about the amazing features of PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro. And thanks, Smile, for your continued support of Mac Power users. Okay, so Katie, when I wrote the iPhone Field Guide, I decided one of the things I was going to cover is dealing with spam phone calls, you know, telemarketers. Um, it's something I'm passionate about. I don't like them. I would like to help people that read my book get better at them. So I downloaded, I don't know, seven or eight different, I mean, every, there's a bunch of them in the app store if you go. And the the models are all strange. Some of them like charge you a monthly fee. Some of them don't. Uh, some of them seem like it was a mechanism to capture your phone numbers more than it was something to protect you. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I found, I only had one I put in a book because the only one I thought I could recommend. And, and uh, Nomo Robo is the app I would recommend if you are having telemarketer problems. Uh, I want to back up for a minute and, and talk about, you, you made a comment there about a lot of the spam apps are maybe just a mechanism to get your contacts. And, and let me elaborate a little bit on what that means. Maybe it's an elaborate ploy to get your contacts. Maybe it's legit. But there is an issue with many of the spam apps where they say that in order to whitelist phone numbers, to know that they're not spam, you have to upload your contacts to them so that they know, hey, these are legit contacts. So we're adding them to our whitelist as in not spam. But once you upload your contacts to somebody you can't get those back and you really don't know what they're going to do with them. And that always made me very uncomfortable. You can't unring that bell. I mean, once, once they have that data and if their business model fails in six months, maybe they don't have a business anymore, but they do have a massive database of contact information. Um, so they have an asset that they can, they can liquidate in bankruptcy or, or whatever. Um, but so be very wary of that. Um, some of the carriers now are offering an anti-spam service. I think AT&T does. Some of the other carriers are. Verizon does not. Some of them are doing it for free. Some of them make you pay. I would say check that out because um, this is an area where the carriers probably are in the best position to eliminate the spam. But mine doesn't. So I started looking at these third-party apps. The, the one that I settled on because it was the most highest recommended, it didn't request your contacts, is Nomo Robo. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I used Nomo Robo. I, I, I used it successfully for several months. And then I signed up for a year subscription, which was not that expensive. I think it was 20 bucks for a year. Yeah, it's usually $2 a month. Or $2 a month, or you get a little discount if you buy it 20 bucks for a year. And I will tell you that it worked well for a while. And I think the last several months, it has not worked well for me at all. Maybe I'm just getting fewer spam calls, but the spam calls that I'm getting now all seem to be number spoofing. And that's and, and Nomo Robo says, these are the calls that we can't protect you from. They do label them as spam, but it's pretty obvious they're spam because what they do is they spoof my area code and the first three digits of my phone number. 
And so Nomo Robo can't isolate them as spam. And I look at them. And so you look at it and you say, oh, that's very close to my number. That's probably somebody I know, but it's not. They've just, they've just spoofed your number. Other than those types of spam calls, I haven't been getting a lot of spam calls recently. And so Nomo Robo hasn't helped me. And so I thought, well, okay, well, maybe I'm not getting spam calls because Nomo Robo's blocking them. So maybe it really is helping me. And when I cancel my subscription, then, then I'm just going to get a ton of spam calls. So I actually tweaked the settings so Nomo Robo wouldn't automatically block. They would just, you know, you can you can have them automatically block or you can have them flag the calls. And so for the last several months, I've turned off automatic blocking and just had them flag calls. And I just haven't been getting any other spam calls. So I don't think I'm going to renew my subscription when it comes up uh, later this summer to renew. They they supposedly have added, I'm, I'm getting a lot more text message spam recently, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But um, supposedly they've they've added some ways to try to check that. But I, I read their terms and it made me a little nervous because you have to like send them your text messages. So um, there's just not a good solution to this. And, and I mean, I think really it's going to take the carriers and some legislation and people getting really tough on this. I mean, the legislation already exists. I mean, we have a lot of nothing's happening. Yeah, exactly. It, it, we need people to really crack down on it. All right. Well, I think I think we'd agree that if you want to try anything, Nomo Robo is probably the one to try. And, you know, your your results may vary. And also talk to your carrier. Look at what your carrier has to, to offer. It's a tough it's a tough problem to solve, though, because, you know, that's cat and mouse. They're always trying to find a new way to get around whatever rules they put in place. I've got to the point at, at this point, Katie, where if a phone call comes into me and it doesn't identify to an existing contact, I just don't answer it. Yep. Unless, unless I'm expecting a call from somebody, I don't answer it either. Yeah. So I just, and if it's somebody that's not, you know, an evil telemarketer, they're going to leave a message and I'll call them back. But I'm not going to, I, every time I pick up the phone, like I have got caught with those local uh, robo numbers where they get a, a related local number and you pick up every time I get bit by that, I just get mad at myself for, for taking that bait. So I, I I honestly just don't answer it if unless it's already in my contact database. And then if it is somebody in my contact database, the iPhone makes it very easy. And we haven't really talked about this, but anytime a number comes in, you can attach it to an existing contact right in the recent calls menu. You just click on it and then you attach it to a contact and say, this is Katie Floyd's cell number. And then next time it'll identify to her. So if you're, if you're diligent about that, uh, connecting uh, numbers that come in to, to people, then you don't have a problem with that, or at least you've got a, a much better guidance. I don't know what the solution is. We'll keep working on it. The solution is for people not to be terrible. Well, good luck with that. Cause that n- nothing seems to have solved that yet. Not all people, but some people. So um, one of the questions that we, we probably get more often than any other related to phone calls is how do I record phone calls on my phone? Yeah, that's not a good question to ask to people that make their living being lawyers. It's not. Really it's a, a bad, bad question. question. <laughs> I don't know why people keep sending it to us. I think I have a text expander snippet for it now. <laughs> First off, let me let me tell you two things that I always tell these people. There, there, there's no way to do this natively on iOS. Um, that's probably for a very good reason. You can't do this just on your phone. Um, and number two, please be aware of the laws in your area because you may very well be committing a crime. When you do this, that's all I'm going to say about the legalities of that. There, there are some third party apps and services that will allow you to do this, but they require some kind of intermediary. They either require you conferencing in like a, a, 
a call recording service. They require you using an app that will then, um, you know, bridge your call into some kind of call recording service. You're, you're now bringing a third party into the call to record that call. And so you, you, in addition to being aware of the legalities of actually recording the call, um, you want to be aware of what that third party is doing with your data. Um, you know, uh, something else you do with your, your phone that people forget and is that you can still use apps while you're on a phone call. Um, if you've got a call going now, usually you need, need to be on a headset or on a speakerphone because if you're holding up to your face, obviously that's a problem, but you can just hit the home button or swipe up on the iPhone 10 and have full access to your apps. And this is often the case when you're on the phone and you're trying to schedule an appointment and you want to see your calendar or somebody's talking about a restaurant and you want to check it out on the web. Um, that used to be a thing that only worked on certain networks. Like I think at the beginning Verizon didn't do that and AT&T did, but now they all do it. And um, don't forget that while you're using your phone to make calls, it still can be your internet communicator and still get you to a lot of information that may be helpful while you're talking to that person. Other other phone, uh, common questions that we get about the iPhone is how can I make phone calls without using the phone app? There are a lot of third party services and, and Apple's own FaceTime audio that will allow you to make not phone phone calls. Does that is that, is that how you say that? Well, I mean, it's just it, it's essentially not through the traditional network. It's a form of, I guess, I think they call it internet telephony or it's a form of Wi-Fi calling, I guess. But it's it's these services that basically connect you digitally to, with someone. Uh, very common, like I've got some clients in Asia. Um, we always do our phone calls on Viber because that's how they, they talk. Some people do it over Skype. Um, and there's other services as well um, where you can set up audio calls. And we're going to talk about messaging as a separate issue later in this show. But um, there are other non-phone apps that give you this the equivalent of phone calls. And that just kind of depends on what you're doing and who you're dealing with. If you're if you're just working domestically, and no, no matter where you're located, you probably don't need those services. But if you're working internationally where rates can be very expensive to make international calls, it solves a big problem to be able to do it through one of these services. And there are lots of third-party services for, I, I know a lot of people, one of the things that I was researching very heavily when I opened my firm was how can I use my iPhone both as my personal phone and my business phone? Because I really didn't want to carry two phones. Um, didn't want to have two numbers. I mean, I did want to have two numbers, but I really didn't want to carry two phones. Um, a lot of people use Google Voice for this. Um, I, I caution that because I've had some issues with the call. I mean, it's it's free. So you get what you pay for. You actually get um, the call quality isn't great, um, but it is free. But just be aware of it's it's Google and who's the product? What's the product? Um, the Ring Central has a lot of options. You and I ultimately went with a Ruby receptionist who not only had a receptionist service but also added the ability to to add a second line. But then there are a lot of third party services from like Phone dot com or. Um, I think it's line two or from VoIP service providers that will allow you to make um, VoIP calls from your iPhone using a, an app and a second number. Those those can run anywhere from about 15 to about 50 bucks a month, depending on what you need. Yeah, I used to tell my little war story on this. I So I started when I started my own, I got a, a Google voice number because I didn't know, you know if I was going to make it. I didn't want to spend a bunch of money. 
the Google voice number, however, I ended up porting to Ruby receptionist, which is the Portland company we've talked about in the past. They, it's like a really, really good answering service, you know, very nice people answer the phones and they say they're your business name and they take messages for you and forward calls and they have an app and a whole bunch of other stuff. But over time, I found that Google Voice was just not cutting it. It was embarrassing because I'd be on the phone with a, a lawyer or a client, and there was so much delay. I, I, I'm going to date myself again, but there used to be a, a TV show on called MASH years ago. And it was set in a Korean War, and there's this character called Radar, Radar. And he was always on the phone with Sparky, you know. So, you know, of course I think about that. But the... Uh, but they, you know, they were, it was in the 1950s and they could not communicate and everything was delayed. And he was sparky. What'd you say again? That was, that was my life as this attorney, right? Where people would call me and I honestly couldn't hear them. And then I would say, what did you say? And then they would talk over me. It was terrible. So uh, I called up Ruby and they, they accepted my number. I ported my number from Google to them and now they, they handle it for me. There was no increase in fee for that that's part of the service, but the service is expensive. I think it's like $250 a month I spend on this, but they, they handle it for me. The other thing that they do for me on the phone is, um, I can use their app to make a call out from my law firm's phone number, which is not my personal cell phone number, uh, which is very convenient. So when I need to call another lawyer or uh, somebody owes one of my clients money and I got to call them to tell them to pay or something like that, I don't have to use my cell phone number for that. I just use the, uh, firm's number through the app on the iPhone, which is great. So my phone actually has two numbers on it and it's not cheap, but it really does a good job for, for what I need. Right. And, and there are cheaper solutions. I mean, Ruby is so expensive because it's, it's, it's a, more of a receptionist service than, than truly a, a, a second phone line service. Um, I know my, my brother and, and his wife who are both teachers, they use Google voice because they don't want to give their cell phone numbers to students and, and it's fine for what they need, you know, um, because their students um, contact almost almost exclusively through text. And so it, it works just fine for that. Um, but if you if you don't need the receptionist connected to it, I, I would just say, um, you know, do do a lot of uh, do a lot of research and, and look at the tools and the features that you need. And then above everything, make sure that you're not stuck. Because your your number is the most important thing, especially if you're using this for business. M make sure that that number can go with you if you decide to change services. Okay, so um, have we covered the phone? We we spent about we we spent almost fifty minutes talking yeah. about the iPhone <laughs> as a phone. Who who would have thought? Well, I hope that you listen. I hope if you're listening, you got something new out of it because <laughs> that actually was quite a bit more in that outline than I than I thought. Let's move on to messaging, Katie Floyd. Okay, that's what most people do with their phone now. Um, uh, and we talked about this a little bit in the the last MPU Plus, but um, uh, did you notice that when I created the mess the um, outline, I put nothing about any emoji or any emoji in the? I haven't looked to see whether you upped. Oh, you uh, yes, you added stuff. Okay, I added it all. I added it all. Damn. All right that that was a that was an intentional emotion. We're gonna get to that. Okay. All right. So you can just, well, you just go take a break. I'll talk about it and you can just go take a break, you know, go make a cup of tea or something. Earl Grey. I know that's how you like it. Hot tea. Earl Grey hot is what I drink. Um, all right. So let's talk about messaging on the phone. I, I will tell you that I was not a big texter and I certainly was no not kidding. A, no kidding. No, I was not. Um, especially not when you had to do it on a phone with a numeric pad. Um, I did not really start texting until um, uh, texting came to the iPhone. 
And I'm still not a big texter, but um, I, I message, I guess we call it messaging is what we're supposed to call it now. Uh, I message a lot more now on the iPhone than I ever did before on the, the flip phones or the, the phones that, um, that, that preceded it. And Apple has, has, pr- has made continual improvements to messages, probably just about every, if not every other uh, uh, major release of, um, of iOS has included some goodies for messages. They've gotten more and more ridiculous as time has gone on, but they've always thrown something in for messaging. Well, see, I, I, I think uh, fundamentally messaging is a great technology for a lot of reasons. Uh, it's in, in a lot of ways, it can be superior that to a traditional telephone call. Uh, the hang up for people is when you're on the phone with someone, you get context. I mean, when you listen to Katie and I talk about this stuff on the podcast, you're getting context. You know, we make little jokes back and forth, but you can hear in our voices what, you know, what we're really excited about, what we're not. And the, um, you know, whereas if you just got a transcript of this podcast, it wouldn't give you the same information. And that's, that's the true with text messaging. But the nice thing about text messaging is that it is a non-intrusive form of communication that can be done anywhere. Uh, just like a little war story for me, when I was doing a lot of trial work, we used to always have this issue of, you know, is the next witness going to be here in time? You know, what, you know, what, is there a motion that needs to be signed back at the office? And so what we would do is we do our trial and obviously we would have cell phones. This was still in the age of cell phones. I'm not that old, but, but we couldn't use them, you know, to call the office staff. So what the, when the court would take a 15 minute break, the lawyers would run out the door and then they'd run to the opposite end of the hallways, the jury, cause you don't want to be near the jury and talking about a witness. And then you'd call the office and the staff at the office would know that you were going to call them sometime between 10 a.m. and 1130. And everybody was afraid to go to the bathroom because, you know, they're going to go to the bathroom and then Dave's going to call and need to know the witness status. And not the person that knows it is not going to be there to answer the question. This is a huge problem. Um, but with text messaging, that's completely solved. They would drop messages to you via text message and you could respond even at counsel table in the middle of a courtroom and nobody would really know. And so it gives you this ability to communicate in circumstances that traditionally you didn't have. So I can see why it took off the way it did. And then, of course, um, younger generations are using it almost exclusively. I know that from watching my kids that they they text their friends. They don't call them. But Katie missed that. You were you were you were just a little too old for that. Yes, I I was just a little too old for texting. It was not my thing. But but I get it. I mean, I I use texting or messaging messaging as I don't like the word texting even. Um, but I use messaging as a way to, to convey short bits of information. It's, you know, perhaps, um, less important and less urgent than a phone call, but, um, you know, way to convey something quick, but more important than an email, you know? Yeah, I agree. And and I think there's like this social convention around messaging. Like, is it urgent in my head? If you send me a text message, it's not urgent. As you know, to your chagrin sometimes, Katie, right? You'll send me a message and I won't reply for three or four hours. Well, more urgent. It's more urgent than an email, but but less urgent than a phone call. Yes, exactly. And and but that's not true for everyone. Um, I think with my kids, I think they would argue that a text message is way more urgent than I think it is. But but that's a social thing we have to all agree upon. And in your circles, you're going to have that. But but you're you're right. It does. It gives you another way to get information across, and I think that's good. But the technology started out very primitive, and it's gotten a lot more advanced over the years on the iPhone. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, for for one thing, now you can reliably send messages to multiple devices. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and we talked about this in the last show a little bit, but uh, the reason for that is messages in the cloud. You know, Apple has had this message relay service that you could turn on in uh, settings, messages, and uh, you could have the options to share your messages across multiple devices so long as they were logged into your, your iCloud account. But it was always kind of wishy-washy as to, as to whether it would work and whether they would be in sync. And it, it worked pretty well for me, but it, it really depended on whether your devices were online, whether they were connected to the Internet, um, how they were connected. Sometimes your, your messages would not show up. Sometimes they would not be in sync. Sometimes messages would appear out of order. And so what Apple has done, and it took them a long time to do it, is they rolled out what's called messages in the cloud. And it's Apple has now said, well, the truth is in the cloud. So what we're going to do is your your messages are now going to live basically in iCloud. But they're going to be there. They're going to be encrypted. Uh, not only your um, iMessages, but also your SMS messages. And then from there, they're going to sync down to your other devices. So if the truth is in the cloud, then your other devices are syncing with them. Then those other devices are all going to be in sync because they're all getting their information from the same data source. And they're going to be syncing back and forth with the cloud. And now, now that's not turned on by default. We talked about this in the last MPU Plus just last week. So we won't go into that in great detail. Uh, but one thing I didn't say last week going back is yeah, I've had it turned on since it released. And so that's a couple months now. And it's largely worked as advertised. I think, like, for instance, the red, um, the red tag on messages is much more consistent for me now. Before messages in the cloud, I would mark a message as red on my iPhone, and then I'd go to the iPad, and it would still be marked as unread. And that just never happens to me anymore. The message order, I've not had any failures of getting you know, messages out of order where that would happen occasionally with the older system. I do find occasionally I, I boot up my laptop, which I don't use that often, and I still sometimes get kind of a flood of messages as I wake that up to the Internet. I wish that was a little more consistent. But overall, I think um, the messages in the cloud fixes a lot of uh, multi-device sync issues. Yeah, and, and you alluded to this, but we should mention it. The, the way that you turn it on is not within messages. It's actually within iCloud is where you flip that switch. So you go into settings. And then at the very top, you'll see the iCloud option um, and you go into iCloud and you you flip the switch to turn on the messages sync within iCloud. Um, a couple of things I, I should warn you, and we talked about this last episode, if you missed it, we'll give you the summary here. Um, I would suggest you turn this on one device at a time. Um, I turned it on my phone first, then my iPad, then my computer, because I did it kind of in order of priority. Let it sync with each individual device, one device at a time. And before you before you add other devices um, and keep in mind that this is going to eat into your iCloud storage space. You may not want to do this if you're only using the free tier of iCloud storage and you want to be mindful of what you've got in your messages. You may want to go into your message settings and set it to auto delete messages after 30 days or you want to auto may want to manually delete um, messages that are very intensive with with photos. Um, I was kind of the the designated uh, social media person for a, a group, the local bar association. And the, I begged them to email me, but they didn't. But the the way that people would send me photos after one of our big events is I would get text messages with anywhere from, you know, 15 to 30 photos on them. And I would have to say, please don't send these till I get home. Please don't send these till I get home. And I'm on, on Wi-Fi. And then these huge message chains with photos would download and I'd have to download each you know, the photos back to my Mac, but 
um, you know, I then would delete those so that all those those photos weren't weren't uploading and taking my space off. I mean, the the technology has advanced a lot since the you know iPhone first arrived. I mean, like for instance, group messaging is something that's that's really pretty powerful with this now. Um, you can send a group of messages out to you know a group of people, and you can have these ongoing groups. So I've got one for my nuclear family and my wife and kids. I've got one for my larger family. Uh, Katie and I have one. Um, I mean, you can get involved with these groups, and it makes it really easy to to get information out to a group of people. Um, one of the things they've done with um, some of the more recent versions is they've allowed you to ignore those group conversations, which is kind of great. You know, you can you can leave the conversation or ignore. You, know, you ever get on the family group? Sometimes you get on a, a larger family group, and everybody wants to prove how clever they are, and that that's the ones you want to get out of pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm that person who will leave the conversation very quickly. Katie has left this conversation. Goodbye. Yeah, and and I don't have any bad feelings about that. I know sometimes they give me trouble about it. Next time I see them, they're like, "Oh, you're the one who's always bailing out on conversations." I'm like, "No, I just got yeah, I just got things to do. It's good." You can also now mute those conversations so you don't have to leave the conversation if you don't want to. Yeah, but I like to make a statement. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, your son did not leave his shoes at my house. Goodbye. Exactly. <laughs> but it's also a good way to share things as well. Uh, in the right circumstances. But there's a lot more you can do with messages too. We're gonna talk about that right after this. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Pixelmator Pro, my favorite image editing application. Pixelmator Pro is an image editor packed full of innovations, from a reimagined editing workflow and simplified editing tools to machine learning powering all new intelligent image editing features. So the tools at your fingertips are smarter and more powerful, yet more intuitive and easier to use than ever before. I always have a warm spot in my heart for Pixelmator because I was never able to figure out the prior image editors, you know, the big fancy ones that cost so much money. When the original Pixelmator came out, I bought it immediately and I've been using it for years. But Pixelmator Pro, it's their newest version and it really ups your game. One of the things I love about Pixelmator Pro is that it was designed entirely for the Mac. The developers didn't have to make compromises to get it on other platforms, and that shows. It's beautiful and easy to use and has a simple single window interface, so you don't get bombarded with information when you want to go fix an image. This makes editing images simpler and more enjoyable than ever. At the same time, there's a ton of features under the hood. There's a whole new digital painting experience. They've got color adjustments for picture-perfect photos. They've got real-time blockbuster effects that you can see applied as you select them. And there's a suite of tools that just make selecting and making changes to your images easier than ever. For instance, the quick selection tool is wicked smart, and it makes it super easy to select a certain object for performing corrections to. The repair tool is fast and smart, They've got an impressive collection of shapes and drawing tools, so you can add those to your images or make new drawings altogether. There's over 40 tools in Pixelmator Pro to make your images look better. And these guys aren't resting on their laurels. They've already released version 1.1 that adds things like export for the web, auto color adjustments, uh, the selection of color range, and a bunch of new tutorials that you can go find at pixelmator.com tutorials. You may be listening to this thinking that you were like I was a few years ago and just not really up to image editing on a professional level. I'm just going to tell you you're wrong because Pixelmator Pro makes it easy for anybody to do it. Go into the App Store, check out Pixelmator Pro, 
and start making your images look beautiful today. Thank you, Pixelmator, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. Katie, do you have an opinion on read receipts? Yes, I do have an opinion on read receipts. Um, I And my opinion has changed over time. I used to always send read receipts to everyone because I considered them a courtesy. Um, and now I only send read receipts to specific people. Um, I send read receipts like pretty much just to members of my immediate family and to nobody else. Because really, none of your business as to whether or not I read it. My My mom tends to get very upset not upset, but, you know, if you don't respond to a text message, uh, she doesn't like that. So I turned on read receipts for her and showed her. I was like, see, you can see that I read the message just right here. It says read. And that satisfies her. So if she tells me that we're having dinner at six o'clock and it just says read, then I don't have to respond. But um, but no, I, I have now universally turned off read receipts for everybody and then only selectively turn them on for specific people. Where's that setting? OK, so that setting is. The, the universal read receipts setting um, is within settings, within messages, and you can either send or not send read receipts. If you want to send read receipts to individual people, that setting is in a weird place. You actually have to open up the messages app and then find a message with this person that you either find or create um, a message with the person that you want to send read receipts or not send read receipts to. And then click the little I, the little info button um next to their name and there will be an option within there to send read receipts you can only do this by the way for people with iMessage you can't do it for your text message people yeah and the idea behind that is you know you would you would activate it as needed when you're in a conversation you wouldn't go to manually set it up separate from a conversation uh, kind of related to that, if you're on a conversation with someone, you just swipe right in the view screen. It shows you the timestamps for the messages, which can be helpful. Um, other stuff you can do, uh, you can send SMS backups. So if you want, um, it can send a backup through via, instead of through the message service, through your, your SMS service with your cellular carrier. Yeah, let me let me explain this a little bit. So by, by default, we have blue bubble friends and, and green bubble friends. So your blue bubble friends are people, people who you send blue bubble messages to are people who are on iPhones and iPads and um, Macs, and they have access to the messages app. And so you're sending them iMessages. And that's always preferred because um, for, for a number of reasons, you're sending them securely, you're sending them through Apple, they're not going through your, your cellular provider. Your green bubble friends are things that are being sent over the SMS messages. They're being sent as text messages. They're being sent through the cellular network. They are not encrypted. Um, they're going through your cellular provider and they could, you know, arguably be intercepted or, um, you know, subject to whatever may happen with your cell phone provider. So I prefer to to speak to blue bubble people and I prefer to send blue bubble messages whenever I can through iMessage. However, if and this is less of a problem now that Apple has tweaked some things to fall back onto cellular data. But if you are in an area that has particularly bad coverage, um, it can be easier to get out an SMS message or a text message than it can be to get out data to do an iMessage. So there's an option within settings and messages to fall back to an SMS message if it can't get an iMessage out. I never use this. I've never used that. I've used it a couple of times, again, because I live in an area with, with kind of bad coverage. Something that I think people get confused about is how to make, what are the recipient addresses for these messages? Because 
over the time, Apple's blurred the lines. I mean, initially it was always tied to a telephone number. You know, you would get messages attached to your telephone number. That was the whole SMS system. But as Apple has, you know, expanded the service and built up this messages service, you don't just need a telephone number. Like you can also use your email address. I like I have an old Mac address, you know, Mac.com address because I've been, you know, using this stuff. And the um and that is a recipient for messages for me. So someone can send it to that email address just as easily as they can to a phone number. And I think you should spend some time thinking about that because uh, that makes it easier for people to find you, but you don't necessarily want everyone to be able to text message you. Like I have a public email address uh, associated with Max Sparky that doesn't, it's not a text message recipient for me. I've never signed that up to the messages service because I don't want anybody that gets my public email address to be able to start sending me text messages. So you just got to give it some thought. A couple of reasons that you, you you can also set where you send messages from. By default, I believe you send messages from your phone number, but you can also set your send from address as your email address. Um, I have intentionally tried to keep all of my messages going to my phone number for a few reasons. Number one, I think it's more privacy. Um, fewer people have my phone number than you, you can find my email address if you go looking. So um, I, I just don't want random messages from people who may be able to find my phone number. Um, the, the other reason is I think it can lead to confusion for people. If you don't know, um, if you're not expecting, uh, an iMessage or if you don't have, if you don't have my, um, uh, that particular email address in, in your messages and you get an iMessage from me from my email address, then it can cause confusion. I, I had this problem. I, there's some reasons that you may want to move it over to your, um, you may want to move it over to your email address. I, I temporarily, when I was in Europe, um, moved my uh, send from address to my email address because I did not want to be sending things as text messages. I only wanted to be sending them as uh, iMessages and I wanted people to be replying as iMessages. And I forgot to change this when I got back and I sent um, a work colleague um, a message and it came from my email address and I got a very weird response from them. <laughs> well, it's good. I'd rather forget to change it when you come back than forget to change it before you go and find out that you just paid for a bunch of expensive text messages. What about text uh, spam and text messaging? We're starting to see that now. Yeah, there, there are a few things you can do, do with this. Um, as we said, there are some third party apps that claim that they will help with this, but, but it's hit or miss. Um, I, I did not really like some of the terms and conditions because, again, by default, your iMessages are secure. Text messages have to go through the carrier, but now you're just getting a third party involved in that. And I really don't want a third party reading my messages to determine what's spam and, and what's not. Um, there is a setting within the messages, um, settings and messages, where you can turn on what Apple calls an unknown senders list. And if you look in messages, you'll actually at the very top, you'll see two lists from people. Um, one for basically the, the known senders. And if you click over, you'll see a list of unknown senders. So if you get text messages, it's, it's messages that says contacts and SMS. And then there's a second one that says unknown and junk. So if you get a text message and you see that you have a notification for a text message, but you can't quite figure out where it came from, um, it may be in the unknown and junk. And that's, that's where... That's where they go. I will tell you that this only seems to work for iMessages. It doesn't put text messages, which are the bulk of my junk text messages um, in the unknown junk folder. But 
maybe that will come with a future software update. Yeah, and you have to be careful. There's some crooks out there. My uh, my wife just last week uh, got a message on her phone saying, "Hey, we got your application for an American Express card, and you know we're processing it. If you have any questions, call us." And w- without I, I mean, that's immediately I would know that's that is a, a scam. But she didn't realize it. She called, and they're like, "Oh, we need to look up your your thing. Give us your social security number so we can look you up." And as soon as they asked her for that, she's like, "Then she got wise and like, oh wait, you're a crook." And she hung up and told me about it later. But I mean, just think about that. I mean, how many people will get a text message? Sounds legitimate. They'll call the phone number in the text message and then hand over their social security number. It's like ah. You know, it's, um, be careful and, and look out for, uh, the folks in your family that aren't so tech savvy, uh, young and old, particularly they, they get caught up in this stuff. Be careful. Apple has been constantly improving or, um, junking up depending on how you look at it. Their messaging platform. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I want to talk. I want to, I want to cover this part of the conversation because Katie is clearly biased. I was, I was hoping we could just breeze through this, but okay. Well, I, we don't, I won't spend a lot of time on it. We've, we've been going a long time, but the, um, I talked earlier about, you know, one of the downsides is one of the downsides of text messaging is the lack of context. I mean, just, it, it is the most basic form of communication, just text, uh, with no context whatsoever. Um, I will make the case that, um, things like emoji and stickers can bring context to communication they can give actually more information than you would get otherwise. Um, and they're okay. So first of all, I think it improves the quality of the communication. Uh, so long as you use them appropriately, if I'm sending a note to a judge, I'm not going to put a bunch of happy face emojis in it. But you know, if I'm sending something, even to some clients, I use emojis because it helps get a point across. Or like I say, Hey, I still need this thing from you. And I put a happy face next to it. They understand I'm not being a jerk about it, but I still need this. Or, or you're just, um, yeah, you are, but you put a happy face so they wouldn't think you were. Can I tell you that I've actually started using emoji more often and I've, I've, I found the use for them. All right, let's hear it. So I have found, so there are, there are people who don't know when to stop texting. Like they text, you respond, then they feel they have to respond and then you don't respond and they think you're mad at them. So yeah, it's the same thing with email. Yeah. It goes back and forth. Never ends. Yeah. There, there's this thing that happens where people just don't know when to stop. I have found that an emoji is a great end response to text. Like if somebody tells me something, Got it. Thumbs up emoji. If I don't really know how to respond, send them a smiley face. It's great. You know, I I think an emoji is a great zero word response when you want to let them know you got the message. You've respond. You're 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 giving them some kind of reaction to it. But um, but no words, no further words need to be exchanged. Thanks. Well, you know that as you say that, I'm looking through our history of text messages together. And it's all single <laughs> emojis. Yeah. I see how you ended these conversations. I am wise to you, Katie Floyd. Yes. In fact, in fact, on the Apple Watch, you can um, you can set a few def- um, you know, quick responses back to people. And I've actually customized mine. I've got, OK, thanks. You know, be right there. Can't talk now. You know, just a few generic ones. And I've added to those. The thumbs up emoji. Thumbs up is a great ender. It's thumbs a up is a great end ender, um, as well as the smiley face. Well, so there's a use for you, Katie, but it also can add context. Um, they have a built-in technology in the um, 
in the iOS messaging app where you can actually send a recording of yourself. So rather than write the text out, you can just record your voice and send a message. Um, I'm not so sure I'm sold on that. Um, we've talked about that in the past in the show, but the problem with it is it requires a recipient to be in a place where they can listen to the message, whereas they can read the text anywhere. So I don't really, I have trouble figuring out where that the line is for that. Should I just get you on the phone if I feel like it's something I need to speak? Uh, but it's there if you want it. And then the last few years, they've even really upped the game with stickers, uh, Animoji, and now Memojis. Um, and I think some of it is just kind of adding delight to the process, but what's wrong with adding a little bit delight to your communications? I know Katie isn't a big fan of it, but, but I use it quite often, you know, in the right context, like I said, with friends and family. And now that I've got the beta on my phone, the Memoji thing, I mean, you know, people love to see themselves. I mean, we're such, you know, that's the, that's the nature of the beast, you know, for the, for our species. So we're always looking at ourselves and now I'm sending out memojis. We've made them of other people. So my new thing is I'll send a memoji to my daughter of her speaking and it's, you know, weird, but it's fun. So I, I think there's nothing wrong with having fun with this stuff. Yeah. Con- context for these things is, is key. Um, you know, messaging as an Apple platform, I just felt like we should just spend a minute talking about it from a business point of view, adding messaging to, to the iPhone and coming up with Apple's own messaging platform. Most of these messages between Apple devices never go through the cellular carrier. And that gives you security advantages because Apple encrypts everything. So that's just, you know, you're cutting a middleman out of the process. Um, but it also gives Apple an advantage of lock-in. People have all of this investment in these messages. That's one reason why people keep coming back to Apple devices. And I think it's just a very um, important piece of Apple's business. And and the good news is I think that's why they're going to keep uh, pouring attention on it and making it better. Yeah, we keep wondering whether they're going to make iMessage cross-platform. They haven't yet, so. Yeah, I, I, I could see the case for them never doing it, honestly, because um, they make a lot of money selling iPhones and I'm not sure they want you to make it easy to use all their cool messaging stuff from an Android phone. Uh, but if you've got other people on other platforms, you can still contact them SMS or you can contact them through third-party apps. Let's just take a minute to talk about some of those third-party apps. Uh, one of the biggest ones in the U S is WhatsApp. And I know it's global as well. Uh, but I was talking to a friend in Asia who says everybody in Asia uses WeChat. That's like uh, the WeChat is its own platform over there. In fact, um, Ben Thompson wrote a series of articles saying that the iPhone is, um, or the iOS operating system is to an extent minimalized in Asia because the operating system in Asia is the WeChat platform, no matter what phone it's on. Would you, you would probably believe I've never used any of these third-party messaging apps. No, I mean, well, Facebook Messenger, have you ever used that? Nope. In fact, I wish Facebook Messenger had an auto response that says, I do not use Facebook Messenger. Okay, thanks. Bye. Yeah, no, I know. I was, um, honestly, I um, I kept my Facebook account because my goodbye note in the Mac Power Users Facebook group would disappear if I canceled my account telling people how to get into discourse. But I'm sure there's a bunch of emails in, to me in there uh, that I've never read. <laughs> it, just, it just never became one of my inputs. Uh, but, uh, but you know, they're, they're out there. And especially if you've got family in international, um, 
situations or if you've got people on different platforms, those services are there. We're not going to cover them today, but they're out there and you can go explore them. Uh, in the discourse group, uh, Robert wrote in that one of his big concerns about messaging is just managing all these different buckets of texts, you know, where he's probably got people on WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger and, and Apple messages. And he doesn't like having to go to three different places. And I don't know that there's an easy solution to that. I guess you would try to see if you could find one that everybody's on. But the fact is you kind of have to go where your groups of friends are. And if all your family is in Apple messages, but all your work colleagues are in WhatsApp, you're just going to deal with both buckets. Um, before we finish with messages, I just wanted to say one thing, uh, Katie. Uh, I am very hesitant to put notifications and badges in for apps in my devices. But I just thought I'd point out, this is one of the exceptions for me. I actually have, not only do I get notifications when messages come in, I have them badged as well. This is one of the few apps that I allow a badge on. I, I do as well. Yeah, it, I think it's important. And and I really do try to keep, that badge always bugs me. And it it does force me to go in and um, and clear those messages out and see them. Because sometimes I get busy and I just don't see messages come in. So if you're, if you're going to have one place you get notifications, if you get important work-related stuff via messages, that may be a place to turn the badge on. And we're going to talk about some workflows for dealing with that stuff later. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by 1Password. You can learn more and save up to 20% of 1Password subscription by heading over to onepasswordcom MPU. So have you downloaded 1Password version 7 yet? It is available now and it is better than ever. There are a ton of amazing features packed into 1Password version 7. And best of all, if you're already a subscriber to 1Password, you don't have to do anything. You can just go download it right now and all of your stuff will seamlessly transfer over and you are ready to go with the latest and greatest versions. 1Password version 7 features a bold, new, beautiful design, including a new custom font and better support for Markdown, as well as a redesigned 1Password Mini, which makes it easier than ever to find and fill your information. But perhaps some of my favorite features of 1Password 7 is the new security features, including the new and improved Watchtower. They are doubling down on their ability to keep you safe online, and they've included a number of security tools that help notify you of breaches, as well as warn you of your own bad ha habits and highlight your vulnerable passwords. Watchtower now integrates with Troy Hunt's HaveIBeenPwned.com service to see if any of your logins are vulnerable. And of course, 1Password securely checks this information so it never exposes your secure logins. And thanks to TwoFactorAuth.org, Watchtower also knows which websites support two-factor authentication and it will alert you when it finds logins without two-factor authentication enabled. So, you know, maybe it's time to go ahead and turn those on all of your sites. 1Password version 7 is included free for anyone with a 1Password membership. You can simply unlock 1Password after downloading it and you are ready to go. Now, for those of you with a standalone license of 1Password version 6, it's okay. You can still buy a standalone license to 1Password version 7 as well. So head on over to onepasswordcom MPU. Check out the all-new version 7. And thanks to Agile Bits for your continued support of Mac Power users. So we've talked about messages. We've talked about the phone. I think one of the important things that we have to cover here is the importance of managing your contacts because your contacts are, are really the source of information that goes into your messages and goes into your phones. We, we've done, I don't want to cover this that deep because we've done previous episodes about managing contacts. I'll, I'll put a link to those in, in the show notes, 
But I did want to put a plug in to tell people that generally speaking, having good, complete contact information will make your phone and messaging experience better. Um, the, the more accurate this information is, the more complete this information is, the better experience you're going to have with your phone in general and with using your phone as a communicator. Uh, and it really affects everything because good, you know, garbage in, garbage out. If you have bad contact information, it makes it really hard to make sense out of this stuff coming in. Um, we should also point out that a lot of the, um, the settings for your phones and messages, your phone calls and your messages are actually can be tweaked on a per contact basis within the contact apps. Um, for example, custom ringtones and custom text tones, those are all set within the contacts. Um, another big one that we've talked about a little bit before is emergency by bypass. Yeah. So if you have do not disturb turned on, um, you can let some people break through the wall and, I think do not disturb is super important, but having emergency bypass for the right people is just as important. You know, um, you know, if your siblings uh, call in the middle of the night, that's usually for a reason or, you know, a family member or your business partner. So just think about that and, and set it up. It's not that hard. Let's distinguish a little bit about how do not disturb is is different from emergency bypass. Um, do not disturb is a feature that just says I'm stopping my notifications. I'm stopping, you know, noise, certain noise, um, from, from coming to my phone during certain times or under certain criteria. But there are lots of exceptions to that. You can have exceptions by group. You can have exceptions by favorites. You can have exceptions during certain times. You can, you can have exceptions if, if people call multiple times, um, emergency bypass is a contact by contact bypass that says no matter what. Let sounds from this contact come through. Um, so be careful of this. I turned on emergency bypass for my brother when he and his wife were expecting. And even when I had my phone on vibrate in the back of a courtroom, his calls came through and his text messages sounds come through. And I'm like, what? You're standing in Publix and you want to know what kind of chocolate chips to buy? This is not an emergency. Why are you calling me? Okay, so there's something I wasn't aware of. I thought when you had an emergency bypass on that they always came through, but they still follow the default ring pattern. So if you have it on vibrate, it, so it still rings through? It still rings. When you have your phone on vibrate and you have someone on an emergency bypass, it still rings and it still makes the text tone. Uh, okay. I don't like that behavior, to be very clear. I do not like that behavior. Yeah, let me just amend my earlier statement. <laughs> then maybe you don't want to go quite as broad with that emergency bypass as I was talking about. Well, or if you do, you, you turn it on for a specific time for a specific, you know, purpose. Another thing you can do in contacts that helps with the phone is custom fields. Um, uh, like nickname is a great one. If you've got a nickname for a person, then it allows you to dial them up via Siri via the nickname also allows, um, Siri to call out that person by nickname when they call in. Uh, phonetic, phonetic spellings. Have you ever done that? Yep. That's important. Um, you can do this a couple of ways. You can add a phonetic spelling in, um, in the contacts or, or you can also, if you're talking to Siri about somebody, um, in Siri responds with that person's name, you can also say, Hey Siri, that's not how you pronounce their name. And then Siri will give you a couple of spelling or a, a couple of pronunciation options. We talked earlier, we, we toyed with this idea earlier about when you're making a call, uh, having the phone wait to, to automate getting through dialing systems, basically. Um, you can do that when you're setting this up in contacts um, via 
um, the pause button and the wait button. They've got different uh, ways to do this as you're setting up the phone number. So for instance, um, if you want to dial someone uh, and you want to wait, now I always get this right. Is it the semicolon that allows you to wait? There are a couple links back up. If you're adding a contact in, in contacts, there's, there's another button that's got a, a pause and, or excuse me, a plus button and a pound button and a star button on it. And if you hit that, then you'll see two more buttons that and one of those is pause and wait. Um, hitting pause will insert a comma. And so the comma is, is the pause and that will wait a couple of seconds. I think it's about two to three seconds between when it will dial the next number. So this is great if you're dialing someone by extension. So you, you dial their phone number. And if it's, you know, it will say, if you know the, the extension of your party, you may enter it now. So you can dial their, their main number, then hit comma and then put their extension. And the, the phone will wait a few seconds and then dial the extension. Like I know for some people I call, I have to put two commas in because they have a very long intro. And so I have to wait to com- put two commas in for a, a long pause and then it will dial their extension. And then in converse, the, the weight is the semicolon. And so the weight is a semicolon. So what that does is it will not continue dialing the rest of that number until you tap um, the next part of the sequence. So this is, is better often for um, conference call lines. Yeah. So it prompts you. So if you've got a conference call dial in number, uh, you would put the conference call 800 number semicolon, then the dial in conference number and You'll dial in, then on the lower left corner, it's just got a little button there that you can press when you get to the appropriate time in the call, and it puts the dial-in number for you automatically. And I use this not only for myself, but when I send out conference calls, I I put them in in that context, and most people that I work with are on iPhone, and it works fine. I think it works on Android as well with the same syntax. Useful. So you can And you can save that to a contact, so it's there for you every time. But um, that's that's what I recommend in... in I think if you have good contacts, if you if you clean up your contacts, then those are things to do. Um, we have a little bit of time left. We we brushed over um, do not disturb. Do you want to spend the last few minutes we have talking about do not disturb and how you've got those tweaked? Because I think that does have to go with the iPhone as a communication device. Well, you know what I'd like to can we wait on do not disturb because it is so much different in two months when when we get when we get the new iOS. Um, I've been running the beta and it's it's significantly better uh, now. I mean, it, it's very simple now, but you know, the, you throw the switch and then you don't get disturbed and you can also put it on a schedule, but there's so much more to it that we're, when we get to covering um, iOS 12. So let's just wait, let's hold that. But the, a couple other things we skipped over. One is we didn't mention video calls at all. Uh, that's totally a thing you can do with your phone. Um, when we were kids, we all talked about the idea of the Dick Tracy watch or the ability to have immediate video. Uh, I don't think people use this very often. I think people could use it more often. It's actually really nice to call somebody and see them. Uh, it's all about context once again, I guess, depending on who you're talking to. If you're talking to the gas company, that's probably not what you want to do, but talking to family members. Uh, I, I have found over the years I'm doing this increasingly. I make multiple uh, video calls a week uh, to some of the, you know, the, the younger kids in my family. I like seeing them and they like seeing me. We have I like to talk and goof off with each other and, um, uh, even with my siblings who are old like me, we do it and I find it really connects us. So how do you do that? Uh, FaceTime video is built right into your phone. And if the other people are on Apple products, you're going to have it already. Uh, the other services worth considering are, are Skype, which, uh, despite the fact that Katie and I get angry with Skype in the, as a podcasting platform, it can work good as a video conference, conferencing platform. 
and Google Hang Google Hangouts is another good one. Um, and I'm sure there's more and people will write in, but like I said, I, I just wanted to cover the basics here, but, um, there, and there's not even really a lot of tricks to this. You just initiate a video call and you hold it up. You can change the aspect ratio of the screen by the way you hold the phone. You can also switch the lens view. Uh, so if you can have it either looking at you or if you're showing them something, uh, on a trip recently, I wanted to show my kids the view out my window from my hotel room. So you just flip the camera and, and you're good. So, um, that's something worth doing. Uh, I don't, do you do that at all? Katie is video calling a thing for you? Um, it uh, generally no. However, I will tell you since I got a very cute niece, we do a lot more of this. That's why you, you get, you get little babies in your life and suddenly you're doing video calls and you're doing live photos. Those are the two things that suddenly find their way into your life. Uh, so, so try that stuff. If you haven't done it, do some video calls and let us know what you think. Um, in the, uh, various, uh, in the discourse group, we heard from a couple people talking about other forms of communication. One that, uh, I noticed with my own kids at school, they, they share via Google doc because that's their secret way of talking to their friends because they're working in Google docs with the school system. They've got a shared Google doc and they write stuff in there. And I, I don't know how secure that is, but for, um, a kid, that's a, that's a way they figured out to communicate, which, the, which made me kind of laugh, and I thought that was just a kid thing. But then I got, got hearing from people in the discourse group. We have one listener that uses a shared Apple note with a, with a partner where they have temporary storage of things like notes and documents that they just pass back and forth. Our pal Rose um, Orchard uh, uses a reminders, a shared reminder list with her parents that she says we communicate through that, which kind of makes sense, I guess, if you, you're doing things for each other and She's far away from her parents. Um, my favorite, though, was uh, from Sean in our forums. He has a ham radio license, and there is an app called Echolink where you can connect your phone to an actual transmitting uh, ham antenna. You got to have a license to use it because you're actually using these antennas. But he uses his phone to make ham calls, uh, uh, ham radio calls. So I, I think he wins. I mean, I think uh, Sean sent me a note, and I will send you a sticker because that is kind of awesome. Um, uh, but, uh, I guess the bottom line is that this show, we, we bit off more than we can chew. <laughs> There's so many ways you communicate with the phone, but we wanted to help you out. So hopefully you're getting a little better at some of these things. Uh, anything else we should cover Katie? No, I, I think that's it. Other than we should tell people that, um, thanks to the lovely automation that Rose put together, uh, as soon as this show posts, there will be automatically generated a link in the discourse group uh, with the show where you can add your comments. So if we missed anything, if there's stuff you thought that we should have talked about and in an hour and a half talking about the iPhone as a communicator didn't manage to cover, uh, you can add your follow-up thoughts and uh, look for the link to MPU 437 in the discourse group. Again, you can find that at talk. MacPowerUsers.com. And we do want to thank our sponsors for this episode Casper, Smile, Pixelmator, and 1Password. And by the way, we are currently booking sponsors for Q3 and Q4. So if you've got a product or service that you think would be a great fit for Mac Power users, uh, drop us a line and uh, we'll, we'll try to see what we can do about that. Thanks, everybody, and uh, we will see you next time. <laughs>